rumors are t- terrible and cruel, but they're true. Yeah, that's my question. Interesting, because I don't know how that can be read in a heterosexual way. Hello and welcome to The Archers. I am half of your co-hosts. My name is Katie. Hello, I'm the other half of your co-hosts. My name is Madison. I love that we do um, math every time we <laughs> introduce our episodes. We're always like, I'm, I'm a half. I'm about well, like You know what? Life is just a classroom. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we're constantly doing fractions. Trigonometry. We do calculus. We do algebra. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, how are you doing today, Madison? Um, I'm okay. I'm going to preface this episode and say that I am a little bit sick. So, mm-hmm. if I sound a little low energy, if I'm kind of coughing in between, that would be why. But um, I'm good. I'm happy to be recording. Um, and I'm excited for this episode. So that kind of overrides anything else. So yeah, yeah. The excitement of recording does typically override any uh, anxiety or illness I typically feel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My cure. Your cure. Exactly. How are you? Um, oh, thank you for asking. Um, I'm doing okay. It, you know, there was a time in my life where if it was 38 degrees out, I would have been like, it's freezing cold. It's the middle of winter. But living in an area where it has been in the negatives consistently this past two months, it's 38 degrees. And I'm like, oh, spring is here. (laughs) Oh, Punxsutawney Phil had no idea what he was talking about. Spring has arrived. Oh, yeah. Like you're ready. You're on spring breakers mode, 38 degrees. (laughs) It's nice and warm. Nice and perfect weather. Yes, call me Vanessa Hudgens because I'm a spring breaker. Right, exactly. Or Selena Gomez. Or Selena Gomez. Iconic film of the odds. So yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. So our original plan was to do um, each of our top 10 favorite Taylor Swift songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of just, I don't know, we decided not to go that route today. And we discovered that my top song was The Archer and Katie's top song was New Romantics. Yes. So we yes. know we've been asked to do more deep dives and we've mm-hmm. already done a deep dive on the archer. So we figured why not do another deep dive? It's been, I mean, since our first episode, since we've done a real deep dive into a Taylor song. And what better than her second gayest song? Or honestly, at the top with the archer. Today we're going to be doing a deep dive into the song New Romantics by Taylor Swift. It was originally a deluxe song on her Target exclusive deluxe 1989 album that was released in 2014. And it wasn't an official song that was released anywhere besides Target until 2015. I personally had never heard this song until 2021. Yeah, I, pr- I probably hadn't heard it until like 2020, 
I think when folklore came out and I was revisiting yes yes exactly um but yeah I didn't even know I didn't buy the target I was a big 1989 girl in 2014 but I Mm. I never got like the target deluxe track so I didn't know about Wonderland and I did not know about New Orleans until very recently and yeah what a discovery that was to find those two songs no wonder they were on the target deluxe she's like I can't be this gay on Maine you know what I mean like exactly yeah and and so the three deluxe tracks are wonderland you are in love and new romantics yeah and because my view of taylor's discography is so retrospective um you know i'm really like not I really have not experienced a love of Taylor's music in real time. It's more like I'm going back on it. So I feel like I have a very different experience of these songs. And because of that, I really have this like idea of the reputation era going from new romantics to call it what you want. Oh, so interesting. I know. And I think that my very particular unique view of her music has set me up to do this because I heard all of these songs at once and I pinpointed the specific metaphor of the castle. Ah, yeah. Right, right. And the castle represents to me reputation era. Definitely. building the castle, securing yourself off in a fortress where no one can get to you and literally and call it what you want. She says, my castle crumbled overnight as opposed to new romantics, which begins the era of saying I could build the castle out of all the bricks they threw at me. Right. So it's like literally in new romantics, she's building the castle and then call it what you want, the castle is destroyed. And then Lover Era begins with New Year's Day, which is the final song on Reputation. See, that's so interesting that you say that your your like unique kind of like later on perspective of mm-hmm. her discography gave you that to like pinpoint those specifically. Cause you don't have like a linear idea. Yeah. Of it's not like this came out and then this came out and then this came out like on a timeline. You're more just yeah. like I jumped into it all at once and I experienced it all at once. So I make connections of them in a different way. Mm-hmm. I totally, I totally get what you're saying when you when you say that. And yeah. I have noticed the castle reference also, but I didn't ping those two songs together. So that's so interesting. Because call it what you want is kind of closer, closer to the end of reputation, right? It's the second to last song. So I would almost say she starts building the castle in your romantics, continues to build it in reputation. Uh, yes. Then it crumbles. Then it crumbles at the, near the end of reputation. Like it's still, it's still being built and like ready for it. Ready for it is her like premiering her castle. Exactly. Yeah. She's like now opening, like everyone joined me in my castle for housewarming, (laughs) for my castle warming party. (laughs) Exactly. Are you ready for it? It being my castle. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait till we eventually talk about all of rep because uh, that clearing her throat. What an amazing moment in music history. Seriously. And I never even noticed that that was the very beginning of reputation. Like, of course, of course, (laughs) of course. We can get into the castle thing more because I have a kind of an idea and I'm sure you do of like what Mm. it kind of represents for her, like what it means for her. Oh, definitely. 
I think, Katie, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we're mm-hmm. just going to go through the lyrics the same way that we did The Archer, right? Yes, because I really want to honor the fact that, I mean, obviously, as I said in the first episode, and the reason why we named our podcast The Archers, The Archer is a crucial song to me. But I was just fascinated by the idea that Madison's number one song we've done a deep dive on being the archer and now my number one song new romantics are going to do a deep dive so i wanted to really echo that first episode that we did and they both equally deserve to go line by line because the lyrics mm-hmm. are so powerful. so packed so powerful yeah. yeah i love that idea i also like how the lyrics are so powerful in contrast to how the archer is so powerful this is like a full-on bubblegum pop song yes and still she manages to make it so deep like mm. <laughs> it's crazy that's really her specialty all right so in the first verse we open with we're all bored we're all so tired of everything we wait for trains that just aren't coming i hate to bring in the genius interpretation of the lyrics so early into this but i almost want to get into it the what genius kind of says um these yeah. lyrics are about just so that Let's we can prove them wrong move, yeah. prove them wrong and move past it yeah First of all, something that shocked me when I first saw this was that Genius considers this song to be satirical. Yeah, I saw that actually just when I clicked on Genius right now. And <laughs> what an insulting thing to say. What an insulting thing to say. She has, Taylor really does understand satire in a way that I think is unmatched in modern pop music i mean listen to london boy on lover starting with the idris elba jimmy fallon quote like that is peak satire uh blank space on 1989 again like there's a lot of satire on 1989 and this is not it. this is not it this is a like deeply sincere manifesto yeah <laughs> they say addresses the nonchalant and whimsical nature of the way that young adults approach love first of all what what does that even mean oh like how i just think that it's so sad that this song is we're about to you know get into and if you've never heard this song because i know a lot of non-swifties listen to this podcast if you've never heard this song i really recommend you go listen to it right now because the idea that this song is satirical and making fun of the nonchalant way that young people engage in romance it's like this song is so so heartfelt like she's really describing how intense and emotional this is yeah there's so much attachment in here and if anyone is taking that as like a satirical approach on it or whatever that's on them because I don't think that was the the message she was trying to send with it I think that's just one way of interpreting it if you're that surface level (laughs) yeah well I think that people are very quick to think that any sort of overdramatic response to love or friendship or relationships like anything that's extremely dramatic people are like oh that must be satirical she must be making fun of teenagers and as Betty taught us Mm -hmm. you know people do assume that when you're young and if you're talking about young people you you're assuming that they don't know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. but Taylor has always championed emotions and feelings of like young women and young people 
Yeah. And this is very much in line with that. The podcast I've been listening to about her business and like how she came to be who she is. It's by Acquired. They talk about how from the beginning of her career, her target audience was teenagers, which was a really Mm -hmm. hard thing to do as a country music artist. Like no one was making country music for teenagers at that time. And she was the first one to kind of do that. So this has always been her thing. And it was never satire. It was like just her writing from the perspective of a teenager and millions of teenagers relating to that. And so is this. This is her as a young adult writing about how she's experiencing love in her life and millions of young adults relating to that. It's not yeah. satire. Like, no. <laughs> um, yeah. So just starting about this, now that we've you know discussed genius, it's like, yeah, we wait for trains that just aren't coming. The metaphor of the train, so I common know. in Taylor's discography. Mm-hmm. I guess trains is a big metaphor for like sexual innuendos. Like, I didn't know that in a lot of, like, literature, trains are kind of used in, like, a sexual way. I, I think that it's a movie trope, too. That, too. Yeah. It's actually a gay movie trope, I think. There's, like, there's like some movie about two gay men and trains. Trains on a train. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Love this okay this is a common trope in our chats in our episodes where you're like hey I know there's a gay train movie yeah <laughs> and I think that you're talking about strangers on a train the the Hitchcock movie I have mentioned this before to you and I'm like it's some gay train movie and yeah I think that yeah. is what I'm because it's not well the thing is is I am kind of like well maybe I'm just making that assumption because Strangers on a Train is gay but it's gay in the Hitchcock way where it's like all very subtle you know right. what I mean as um, most is in media exactly exactly yeah. <laughs> that's the the reason we started this podcast, Plus this podcast. <laughs> but yeah Strangers on a Train is very homoerotic there's this other film that I can't even remember but I think it's played in like a comedic way like they it might even be self-referential about a train entering a tunnel that's why it's a sexual thing that's exactly. why it's used as a sexual metaphor a lot of the time yeah about yeah in this context <laughs> in this context and i think in many of taylor's contexts she thinks of trains in a subway sense yeah like considering how new york this album like is getting somewhere getting somewhere and the idea that trains do come every like five minutes Mm -hmm. like trains aren't rare necessarily like trains itself aren't rare but the train that you want is rare I mean I just love that line we wait for trains that just aren't coming like this is her New York City album Mm -hmm. the first song on 1989 is welcome to New York yeah. And ev- because of that, every time that she says trains, I immediately think of her and the subway. And we've all been there where it's like 2 a.m. We're waiting for a train and we're like, bitch, like, I don't it's think this ever- train is coming. Yeah. <laughs> Something about those nights when you're waiting for the train at 2 a.m. and it doesn't come. It's still so fun to just be like oh. in, on the platform waiting for it with your friends, like drunk. Yes. And I love that we can relate to that experience exactly and it's like yeah maybe the train like aka maybe the love of our life isn't coming along mm-hmm. um like we thought it was but it's still so fun because and I'm we'll with still my wait for friends. it anyway yeah we'll still wait yeah. for it but how do you think this relates to or do you think it relates to the mm-hmm. archer 
how she says I jump from the train and I ride off alone. Well, exactly. So her train metaphors are really my favorite because there are no, like, to be on a train is to be a passenger. Mm. It's really to view love as trains and relationships as trains is succumbing to the fact that, like, there is a degree of fate involved. You Mm. are not the one driving it. Mm. You are a passenger on it. So the idea of jumping from a train, it's like extremely dangerous, but it also is the only thing that would secure your safety in the case that a train is going off the tracks right? or a train isn't going to stop, you know, like you'd have to jump from it. And that's like a beautiful, beautiful metaphor with relationship that, you know, is just a different aspect of relationships than waiting for trains that aren't just coming that are that just aren't coming like you're waiting for this relationship to happen that probably is never going to happen but you're still waiting for it anyways because you're you have that hope and then when she finally gets that relationship later on in the archer she jumps from it because that's the only thing in her control she's not in control Mm -hmm. of the train but she's in control of the fact that she can jump from it at any time like anyone with anxiety will tell you that it doesn't even matter if the train she jumped from was on a crash course just the idea that it could be it could be is enough to make you want to jump off of it totally so we're really seeing in new romantics the like baby stage of her view of relationships like this is not someone who is in like a seasoned long-term relationship that she's committed to like she's very much with her friends and having a good time like not committed to anything and And the idea that that's how she described this album too right the idea that that would be again inherently satirical as if it's a bad thing that young people wouldn't be attached to someone in particular it's so weird she is not making any judgments on this she's just like this is what it is yeah exactly I just noticed too I think this is one of her only songs along with like you need to calm down where she's saying we our like Mm. referring to herself and other people a group specifically maybe the LGBT community I mean, yeah, there's a lot of evidence for I mean, I this. I can't think of another song where she's saying we and like us mm. an hour other than like you need to calm down. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Yeah, you're I think you're right. I can't think of one either right now. And that's really saying something because, you know, if anyone brings up a single word, we always have like eight songs. <laughs> exactly. That's why I'm like scanning my brain and I'm like, yeah. oh, my my um, search engine and my brain for Taylor Swift is not nothing's coming up. So that's why I love this song, because it basically is like you need to calm down mm-hmm. in that it's a queer anthem. And I never connected to until like just now. So I love that. I because of you, I'm connecting them now. But yeah, she's basically saying don't step on our gowns right now. <laughs> yeah no literally this yeah. was this was her preface to you need to calm down no one listened to her so she put out you need to calm down as punishment for not listening to her in new romantics <laughs> the first time she said it <laughs> and it was punishment it was i'm kidding i was listening to better than revenge yesterday Ooh. off of her speak now album yeah when she says now go sit in the corner and think about what you did i was like that is very uh this is why we can't have nice things and you need to calm down energy <laughs> very like me bossy taylor 
exactly (laughs) I that line was the bio on my Facebook and YouTube profiles when I was a kid now go stand in the corner and think about what you did and it also I made a lyric video to better than revenge at the age of like 10 or like 11 on like Windows Movie Maker and I also made a lyric video to her cover of Santa Baby I I can't get it (gasps) oh my god (laughs) so cute you're like little baby gay relationship with taylor is like one of my favorite things me too yeah that's why i am the way i am now that's why we have this podcast again oh wow an obsession with better than revenge just classic classic Classic. gay baby pipeline yeah yeah exactly um next i was gonna go to the next line which we've talked about before on the podcast yeah we show off our different scarlet letters trust me mine is better that line she okay, says so, it's so snide too i know okay so like that i kind of get why the lay person might assume she's being satirical because she's being self-deprecating yeah but that's just her that's just her that's just taylor this storm was once a madhouse what's made for me exactly yeah and you know that's kind of why we think that renegade is from the perspective of someone talking to Taylor because Mm. she loves being self-deprecating. I mean, shake it off is the ultimate, you know, got nothing in my brain. Now that's Um, satire. I mean, of course, shake it off is satire. I would say that shake it off isn't satire even like she's literally spelling it out for people being like, that's what people say. (laughs) Yeah. She's just like, this is literally what y'all say about me. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Yeah. And like blank space again is like satirical because it's what people say, but she is not saying this is what other people say, you know, like in London boy, she's like, People say I love a London boy, so I guess that's what they say. You know, I love a London boy. Yeah. But in this, she's owning it in such an incredible way. We show off our different scarlet letters. Trust me, mine is better. And she's like, (laughs) (laughs) So, what is her scarlet letter? So, here's the thing a lot of people, gaylers, have speculated that saying when she says mine is better, that she's saying her scarlet letter is B, like bisexual. Or at this time, maybe that's what she was. Oh inferring. my God, really? I've seen it like once or twice and I've thought it myself before listening to the song. Really? Um, I don't know. Obviously, we don't like to try to pin a label onto Taylor on this podcast. So, yes, but yes, it's yes, going yes, over yes. kind of a possibility. Um, yeah, the theories. Yeah. But that gets into, I think the Scarlet Letters is kind of A, a nod to Scarlet Letter like we talked about in our episode. kind of going over why it has to do with queerness and shame um and b the letters of the lgbt community of just like we show off all of our different letters that represent our identities a part of this community like maybe this person is showing off their their letter because they're a lesbian they have an l this person showing off (laughs) you know what i mean like i love that i truly have never thought of it that literally so i'm fascinated by the idea of that better could be b and yeah like the alphabet like the quilt bag of it all it's important to note she's saying we show off our different scarlet letters like it's not it's not just the scarlet letter that is the classic scarlet letter everyone has different yeah i mean so i'm gonna go right back and reiterate what i said when we talked about the scarlet letter the first time in that you know when she says it in love story and like claims that she had a scarlet letter even when she was so young that to me 
really signaled that she had like kind of like deep indescribable shame and and that that shame was put upon her by society Mm -hmm. she had something that she was hiding that if she were to were to openly something that that was a part of her was like openly mocked and so the idea that we all have different scarlet letters it's a very like inclusive universal like we can all understand each other because we all have different ways that society hates us and we all have different ways that all of us are shamed and told that we're wrong and then when she says trust me mine is better it's just such a like it it's so flirtatious it is yeah and it brings me right to a line later on that you've quoted before and is in our incredible theme song shout out again to betty's garden unicorn fluff 33 on twitter for that amazing theme song that quotes madison saying the rumors are terrible and cruel but honey most of them are true that is saying like trust me my scarlet letter is better you i think you know what my scarlet letter is and (laughs) if you have to be shamed for anything in the world it's very fun to be shamed for being queer (laughs) like i don't mind having a scarlet letter because look at how much fun we're having yes Yes! y'all are just jealous trust me mine's better sorry the plot of the scarlet letter the idea that like a woman would be shamed just for being sexual in public like that i mean i just it's so nice like it's so like slutty and sexual and good she's like even if she wasn't like think about the people that are listening to this and not thinking queerness at all like the people that don't see queerness even like hitler's even them listening to this song, she's still owning a factor of shame in her career in that mm-hmm. she's been like a slut and a whore and like the serial mm-hmm. dater or whatever. She's just like, we show off our scarlet letters because we don't give a fuck. Like I'm having fun and mine is better than yours and you're just mad about it. Like yeah. I'm successful. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, even if we're literally thinking of it just as being a serial dater, which is yeah. the public opinion of Taylor, the public perception of her she is owning that heartbreak i just love how much she loves heartbreak uh she's so proud so, of it it's so cancer moon <laughs> mm. <laughs> like love that <laughs> we're so young but we're on the road to ruin we mm. play dumb but we know exactly what we're doing I, i'm sorry we have to jump into right after that we have to include we cry tears of mascara in the bathroom honey life is just a classroom Ah, ah, ah. oh my god the most catchy little the most catchy so i mean that's kind of i'm like burying the lead here i think the real reason i love this song so much is because it is so damn catchy uh it's just like so addictive that little hook that little ah 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 is so amazing but yeah so again going into that stanza you just read uh, it's like not gendered it's like we like just young people young people whatever and then it says we cry tears of mascara in the bathroom Mm -hmm. so bathrooms are obviously very gendered in this world Mm -hmm. uh unfortunately like that's not a good thing necessarily um but they in the context that this was 2014 exactly 
Yes. So eight years ago, bathrooms are very gendered. You would be hard pressed to find a random club that had gender neutral bathrooms in it. And even in like queer spaces where there are like thankfully gender neutral bathrooms, like those queer spaces are typically very fluid and makeup is celebrated. And regardless of gender, you'll have like a bunch of queers all at the bathroom mirror with mascaras like dripping down our faces, whether it's from sweat or crying, <laughs> literally dancing or being heartbroken. Like it's a very, this is queer. Like she is clearly in a group of femmes, makeup wearers sharing a bathroom having like drunk girl time in the bathroom Mm -hmm. and that's so sapphic and heavenly i wanted to mention too the term new romantics please this is perfect timing yeah exactly you're talking about like makeup and everything Mm -hmm. so the term new romantics um of course calls back to kind of the romantics and literature but also in the 80s I think it's like 70s and 80s. The kind of British pop rock musical revolution, I guess, was nicknamed as the New Romantics, like that group of people that was very eccentric and like wore makeup and like wore a lot of accessories and clothes that was like gender bending and androgynous. Like Mm -hmm. if you look up New Romantics, literally the Wikipedia page defines it as like this androgyny era for pop culture that originated in kind of the British pop world. And it came from like David Bowie and artists like that around this time. So even more so calling back to this era where androgyny was so embedded in the music and in the style and in the performances and everything. It's like, not only is it gender neutral, she's calling back to a point in time and in music culture Mm. where everything was gender neutral and androgynous and everyone was wearing makeup because it was cool and it was rock and it was like, it was like punky almost. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it even better that it's all gender neutral because she's literally calling back to that. Like, exactly. Yeah. So it like really cements her in queer culture, not even like cis woman, straight culture, but like contextualizing it as the new romantics. She's like, I, you know, I might be a cis woman. Um, and again, who knows if she identifies as a cis woman, but like, I might, you might all think that I'm just a straight woman, but I'm actually part of the new romantics of the like 2010s. Yeah. Like, this is like, uh, I'm part of like queer musicians that are doing things very differently and like celebrating femininity and celebrating mascara running down our cheeks. Like I'm part of camp. That's another thing too. I'm like never going to get over the fact that genius calls this satirical, but like there's a difference between satire and camp, like taking heartbreak seriously and taking yourself seriously, even when you are very overdramatic is camp. It's not satire. It's reveling in your own like earnestness. Yeah. Um, and also, I just quickly want to say that I'm so glad that you know about the new romantics because I wanted to reference that the romantics in literature mm-hmm. included Nathaniel Hawthorne, who, of course, wrote The Scarlet Letter. And, and of course queer was queer exactly and then Walt Whitman was probably one of the most like prolific romantics and Walt Whitman like so talk about a queer icon just like amazing truly amazing yeah so very cool that she's really situating it in like queer history with queer references everywhere 
it almost makes me sad that she was being so loud at this time and like no one picked up on it like if even if I would have had the Target fucking album at this point I would have picked up on it it really was her like original you need to calm down and no one no one picked up on it just like everyone didn't pick up on it and you need to calm down and accuse her of queer baiting you know yeah I wouldn't be surprised if queer baiting had been a term at the time which I don't like obviously I was finishing up college when this song came out like around this time and I for the life of me don't think that we ever talked about queer baiting yeah because that's not really a real thing I mean it is <laughs> yeah it is I have like my own gripes with this whole with the term and like what is considered queer baiting and everything mm-hmm. I won't get into that here on this podcast I just can't but no no one was calling anything queer baiting at this time no one yeah. was even speculating that Taylor could have been queer other than the OG gaylers but mm-hmm. like it just it just makes me wonder like if this would have came out or maybe when this does come out as a re-release are people going to pick up on on these things or is it going to yeah. be treated in the same way that it was before and in the same way that you need to calm down was where it's just like this sounds gay but Taylor's not gay so why is she making it you know what I mean yeah uh I just feel so bad for I, I feel so bad for her because you're right it's like very painful to look back now and be like she really was giving us all of the clues she really was writing music about queer experiences and she has been writing music about queer experiences for a very long time her entirety of her career essentially and instead she's been you know really maligned and kind of hated by the people that should have been embracing her mm-hmm. I mean she's been hated by feminists for so long mm-hmm. she's been hated by the queer community like queer women specifically I know that like queer men have embraced her for a long time but it's just so painful that like she can write this song that is truly an anthem about being like a young queer person and like only people that shop at Target got to hear it exactly which is like the fact that this song was pushed to the obscure Target album I wonder whose choice that was yeah I also wonder whose choice that was not to mention okay opens this album with welcome to new york saying mm-hmm. you can what you want boys and boys and girls and girls no yeah. one blinked the goddamn eye at that and then closes the album of the deluxe album with this and the album cover is her in a sweater with seagulls on it as if there's not a song literally called lesbian seagull right oh there is yeah absolutely if i would have been my big age now when this album came out i probably would have picked up on something where were all where was everyone where was everyone yeah where were the gays no one was picking up on her her signals they were just double crossed because she was sending them she was sending these signals um and so another line that i completely glazed past because i was so excited about talking about mascara in the bathroom is we play dumb but we know exactly what we're doing like why did i glaze past that i was way too eager to talk about (laughs) crying obviously like that again is in line with betty yeah uh, it's in line with like, i got nothing in my brain exactly yes yes we play dumb but we know exactly what we're doing 
I think that's also a call to her bearding. And it's like, I play dumb Mm. and I do these stupid little relationships with men to throw you all off, but Mm -hmm. I'm the one that knows what I'm doing. And you guys just call me dumb. You know what I love so much about Taylor, especially 1989 era Taylor, is she was so adamant that she had not been in all these relationships that people said. Yeah. That to me is like one of the biggest kind of like Mr. Policeman, we gave you all the clues. Because it's like every time someone would call her a slut or, uh, you know, like Chelsea Handler saying that she was like a chronic virgin that men kept breaking up with because she refused to have sex with them. She would literally be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't I'm not in a lot of relationships. (laughs) Yeah, she's literally like, I don't date as many people as you all think I do. Yeah. So it's like, why haven't any devotees of Taylor spoken up and being like, actually, maybe we we were wrong. Maybe all these songs aren't about the men we think they are because Taylor says she actually hasn't been in that many relationships. She's like begged over and over again, like, please stop associating my songs with men. Please stop treating my songs as a paternity test. You can't just assign the men I've dated to these songs because it's not true. And anyone that assigns a man to a song is lying. Like she said it verbatim. She said verbatim over and over again. Yeah. And she's like, I play dumb. I know what I'm doing. And you all still think I'm dumb. And then uh, using we in that term, it's just so community oriented. It's so like I'm in a long line, like famous women, famous queer people who have not been allowed to show off our scarlet letters unless like I'm surrounded by my closest people. And she talks so much about this song and this album being about like being with her friends and like moving Mm -hmm. to New York and having this group of women that she can like hang out with and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it it makes me think like she's also referencing like me and my friends all play dumb, but we all know what we're doing in our separate careers when we are bearding and we are being seen with men and Mm -hmm. we are doing these pap walks and like all this, like we know what we're doing. We all, you all think that we're dumb me and my group of model friends and pretty much everyone in that group gives me a queer vibe in some way so it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah they're all just a bunch of dumb models but they know exactly what they're mm. doing and hiding the fact that they are all queer and all crying tears and mascara in the bathroom together with other queer people and the line honey life is just a classroom oh. if that is mm. not like you've talked about this song being her like magnum opus Mm-hmm. And if that line tells you anything about her entire discography, like it calls back to New Romantic or to Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince and how it's just like a school setting. Life is just a classroom. This Hollywood bullshit is just everyone acting like they're in high school and like rolling fake dice, playing fake games, winning mm-hmm. stupid prizes this and that and I just feel like that theme continued even into lover if it's not about bearding then what is it about what else stayed consistent in her life since 1989 yeah since her writing this album up until lover and even evermore in folklore all those references in this song do you remember what Sean said in our Miss Americana episode when he said like how devastating is it for like a 30 year old woman for any any of us like any of us past high school past college to still be thinking of life as a classroom like classrooms are notoriously hellish judgmental places (laughs) especially for queer people 
yeah especially for queer people like that's why the it gets better project was created because like life fucking sucks for queer teenagers um i don't uh i don't support that project really but um, <laughs> i just want to know like the concept of it is very real like people need hope when they're in high school and for her to say like guess what the life i lead all of that judgment all of that pressure that you associate with the like insane judgmentalness of high schoolers that's my life baby yeah. guess what honey life is never ended for me yeah yeah it reminds me too of her reputation poem which i think we've talked about before one of them where she was like no amount of friends can fill the lunch tables of your past the empty yes. love like she had bad experiences in school she yes. didn't have friends she was bullied there's even yes. rumors that she was bullied for being like a lesbian in high uh-huh. school and like I don't know how true that is but it's just like the fact that she still faces all of those same struggles as she did in high school what is the common denominator there you know what I mean I really do like she is white blonde talented skinny there are only so many things people get made fun of for I just I feel like people need to put together the dots that if she is associating current days with being constantly judged and comparing it to a classroom of all places, it's again very specific and really telling about certain experiences. Um, okay, so then we go into the chorus. Cause baby, I could build a castle out of all the bricks they throw at me. And every day is like a battle, but every night with us is like a dream. So many references here. The castle, like we talked about. Mm -hmm. Battle reminds me of, long story short, I tried to pick my battles till the battle picked me. Oh, yeah. And Archer, combat. I'm ready for Mm -hmm. combat. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of these continued Mm -hmm. metaphors of like being at war with herself, the public, the people around her. Why else? Why else? What are you at war with? If not Mm -hmm. your own queerness and being able to express that openly or not you know yeah I really do and I just love how much she revels in it because all of the songs that you named you know the archer uh long story short like she's so tired of it at that point but we're really catching her in new romantics as baby Taylor at the beginning of all of this she was like ready for combat (laughs) like Mm. this is like the archer I'm ready for combat and then after this song is when she's like I say I want that, but what, like, what, you know, Exactly. suddenly has the sinking realization of like, oh my God, I've been at battle for all these years. Yeah. Like, the connection to the archer is something I, I'm, the deeper we get into this song, I'm like, oh, okay. They're so parallel. Yeah. Yeah. And the bricks. Who's throwing bricks at you, Taylor? Right. Okay. So the concept of throwing the first brick at Stonewall Uh, You know, like the idea that bricks were thrown at Stonewall and oh, I just love it. Like what an amazing queer history reference to make so subtly. Like that is literally what people think of when they think of throwing bricks. Like she didn't say I could build a castle out of all the stones they throw at me. And bitch, you know that stone castles are a thing. Like people could easily say stones. It's one of those bait and switches that she did again. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no, she's literally talking about like building instead of taking the like bricks that were thrown to harm her about building a like safe 
heavenly place where she can be king yeah king taylor as her friends like to call her um yeah she's like talking about building that like heavenly fortress and oh it's just so amazing the bricks thing wouldn't be well okay it obviously is very connected to stonewall but it even more so what makes it connected to stonewall is the fact that she's talking so much in community in this song of we us Mm. this is our battle like this and that you know what i mean it's not like she's just like she does say all the all the bricks they threw at me, but she's saying like this is still our night and we're still all going together. Like it's very community. And what else? What other community if not the LGBT? <laughs> like exactly, exactly. You're not talking about your community of model friends. Like I mean, maybe you are because they're probably all queer too. But like, right? I just also think that on such a surface level, I love this song because. You know, it goes from really feminizing We by We Cry Tears of Mascara. And then every night with us is like a dream. Mm-hmm. Like the continuation of We is her and someone that wears mascara and goes into the bathroom with her. Mm-hmm. And every night that she spends with this person is like a dream. Like <laughs> they're throwing bricks at me, but I'm still with my baby in the bathroom crying mascara tears, dancing the night away. Like... Yeah. I'm not even worried about it. I'm not even worried about it. Mm-hmm. And Lord knows that's exactly what it feels like to be in a gay club. This yeah. song really does like encapsulate that feeling so well. It She's does. Talking feelings, and it oh. this really is the feeling of like baby gay Taylor going to the gay club for the first time. <laughs> like, yep. And staying, getting way too drunk and then staying way too late. And she's like, oh my God, I don't, I don't think the queue runs this late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't think this train is coming. <laughs> it's just so good. Like she's really happy. And then of course it goes into baby, we're the new romantics. Come on, come along with me. Heartbreak is the national anthem. We sing it proudly. I do want to live in a nation that heartbreak is the national anthem and we sing it proudly. Gayler Nation. That would be that would be what you're looking for. And you know what? I do live in Gaylor Nation now. So (laughs) I made my wish come true. This reminds me of um our films, our songs, our country. United we stand. The way I can't even remember. Country. I guess it was a lawless land. Um, Yeah, the the lawless land, as mentioned in Death by a Thousand Cuts. Uh, their national anthem is Heartbreak. The same way that we've slowly fleshed out the like love square of folklore and evermore of being Dorothea August Betty and James I feel like we are now fleshing out her like nation building and it's a lawless land where heartbreak is the national anthem and it once was a monarchy where Taylor was king but that castle unfortunately did crumble overnight and now it has no law and when I think of castle too I think of like fantasy like I think of like oh yeah this kind of made up thing or like mm. or at least something that the public isn't seeing type of deal. Mm-hmm. So I always thought of the castle as a metaphor for like her PR and her bearding narratives. Or mm-hmm. on the other end of that, the castle is what's on the other side of that, her true life, her true love yeah. life, what she's actually doing behind the gates, this kind of like whimsical fantasy world that she's created that no one can actually see but her because mm-hmm. she's in it. And I I think that both of those things are probably true because Mm -hmm. the castle itself functions 
as the impenetrable wall. Mm -hmm. So that is very much her public persona and they're sort of, you know, smoke and mirrors that she puts up in order to protect herself and protect her private life. And then the fantasy is within the castle walls that no one can actually see because they're stuck on the outside. Exactly. And this castle is made from the bricks that people throw at her. So made from all the criticisms that she gets and all the things that she's afraid of backlash and like the battle she's going to have to go through, you know? Mm -hmm. So I really love that, that metaphor so much and the way that it's so sad and call it what you want when she's like, my castle crumbled overnight. But then she's like, call it what you want. I still have this though. Like, even if this crumbled, at least I still have this relationship for to hold and call it whatever I want to. Like, I don't know if I call it a castle anymore because it's crumbled Mm -hmm. now, but I'm calling it what I need to. Yeah. And just the fact that she retreated after, you know, her castle crumbled overnight, which I really read as the Taylor Swift is over party Mm -hmm. and the heartbreak of summer of 2016. Like ever since then with Lover and Folklore Nevermore, she has retreated into much more naturalistic symbolism she's not really create she's not really using metaphors of like man-made materials anymore so it's like she watched this thing that she spent so much effort creating crumble and she was like instead of just trying to build another castle a better bigger castle which I think is a lot of people's instinct, like just instead of trying to regain that power or even worse, like regain even more power, she's been like, okay, what are the systems? What are the spaces that exist organically that can give me better protection than this Mm -hmm. false thing that I created? Right. Because she's going into the woods. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, And that could work on so many levels, too, of, like, what's a more natural way for me to handle all of my PR? Where I'm not false narratives. What's a more natural way for me to live my life out of the public eye, but still continue to have, like, the exposure that I need to keep my career going through nature and through what's left after the castle crumbled? What's left in the rubble? Just a willow tree Mm. and the woods and And the lakes. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like... I'm on fire you'll be made of ashes too exactly I just think of that because I'm like what's left in the ashes of this like fire of this thing that destroyed her and her yeah she's really in her like deconstructionist era okay so then it goes into we are too busy dancing to get knocked off our feet baby we're the new romantics the best people in life are free that line speaking of the romantics really reminds me of Henry David Thoreau's quote, all good things are wild and free. Um, It's always reminded me of that line. I love that line for someone that has a lot of contempt and annoyance towards Henry David Thoreau. I've always loved that line. I'm like, he really got it right. All good things are wild and free. And what a sad mantra also. I mean, exactly. And that's why I think I think that the best people in life are free. I'm like my Sagittarius queen articulating that deep desire within me to be mm. free. Um, Just to backtrack a little bit, we sing it proudly. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm just like, okay, 2014 was like peak pride, like proud, mm. living proud and out. <laughs> 
and like rainbow t-shirts with proud on it and like the beginning of like gay pride consumerism being everywhere and everything was like proud the word proud was like so closely associated to the lgbt community at least from what i can remember that it's like if you even just said like like captioned a photo proud it was like oh my god you're gay you know like (laughs) yeah yeah I just think that that's very important to note for anyone that isn't aware of like American culture at that time in 2014 Mm -hmm. and the way that like queerness was labeled proud out and proud but yeah the her dancing metaphor really started here I would say well I guess it didn't start here no no I just uh what so what does that dancing metaphor mean to you? Like, what are the, the re- like, the little invisible string that ties them? Well, because I think of, I think it's holy ground. Tonight I'm going to dance like you were in this room, but I don't want to dance unless I'm dancing with you. You asked me to dance and I said, dancing's a, dancing's a dangerous game and cowboy like me. Mm, yeah. And like, I don't know, her dancing metaphors are so, I think it has to do with like relationships like definitely like we're too busy dancing with each other and dancing with our hands tied mm-hmm. to care what you guys are even saying about us or about these bricks that you're throwing at us like we're literally just like having a good time and you guys are so mad for why how do you see the dancing the dancing metaphor I feel like you saying that made me realize in an instant that I do not think about her dancing metaphors to the degree that I think about her train metaphors. <laughs> oh, really? I think about yeah. the dancing one way more. Well, I mean, there you have it. That's why it's so great to talk about things with you. Because, yeah, I mean, now that you're saying it, and also I'm like, okay, Holy Ground is one of your top Taylor songs. Cowboy Like Me is one of your top Taylor songs. It's true. So actually. I didn't think about I just, that. I feel like when you really look at like what our favorite songs are, like any individual's favorite Taylor songs are, there are like so many threads between them. Mm-hmm. Like the same type of imagery is is in all of them. That's true. And thinking now like we're too busy dancing to get knocked off our feet is the equivalent of how she uses dancing in this song versus other songs. It's the equivalent of how she uses trains in this song versus other songs Mm -hmm. it's way more Mm lighthearted. it's way more fun and not in a shallow glib way Mm -hmm. certainly not in a glib way but Mm -hmm. in a truly celebrating life and chance and the kind of like magical mystery of it all because in Cowboy Like Me, when she says dancing is a dangerous game, God, the fucking baggage she has, the weight of that statement compared to this, where it's like, dancing's not dangerous. Yeah. She's like, dancing was dancing was fun for me. And now it's a dangerous game. So watch out. It's very queer because there's mm-hmm. so many historical, like Stonewall, for example, where it was just a place for queer people to dance together and mm-hmm. be safe in that. People of whatever gender identity getting to dance together in a mm-hmm. space that was private where they weren't going to get fucking bricks thrown at them. Dancing is so queer because it's like you can get away, especially nowadays, you can get away with dancing with another gender in a public straight space. And no one is going to throw bricks at you necessarily. No one's going to suspect that you're queer necessarily if you're dancing with the same sex so it's such an easy palatable way to describe a queer relationship like we're just Uh dancing why do why do you think something's going on here we're just dancing and then flash 
forward to one album later where it turns out they're dancing with their hands tied. Exactly. They're dancing with their hands tied. They can't touch each other while they're dancing, but they can dance together, but they can't touch each other while they're dancing because then someone's going to see and they're going to get knocked off their feet and they're going to get break start at them. They're going to get hate crime. Yeah. Like her metaphor of dancing turns so, so quickly, so sad in the pipeline yeah. romantics of dancing with our hands side to cowboy like me is so sad so sad i am so deeply grateful that you pointed that line out i'm really grateful that we're doing this deep dive because i feel like i've loved this song in such a personal way for so long in my taylor journey and having it be not only the kind of foundational for my tr- my beloved train metaphor but now also dancing and having it be in the lineage with dancing with our hands tied and cowboy like me two of her absolute most queer undeniably almost alienatingly queer songs and holy the- ground it holy starts ground. with holy ground thank you for reminding me of that i love holy ground so much i never give it the appreciation it deserves but thankfully you're my uh holy ground stan advocating for it at every step (laughs) it's so good that song makes you want to cry it's so good i don't know what it is and it's her her, like religious i don't know holy ground's always been really gay to me just because it's like holy and a false god and like exactly i was about to say false god yeah we didn't look down at the ground we were standing on we didn't expect all of this to happen but that was like a holy sacred moment that we didn't expect to turn into what it is you know Holy Ground is so similar to uh, the very first night mm-hmm. because they're the both very first about... night was the Holy Ground. Exactly. That was the Holy Ground. I just can't believe that she wrote these songs where she's like, I can't be with this person, but I want you to know that I would be with you in a heartbeat if I was able to be with you. Message in a bottle is all I can't do. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't even mention that song. And that's like the point it's of it. The preface of, yeah, <laughs> the whole point of that song is like, I can't really do anything about this, but I'll write you all these songs and you can listen to them. And they're my message in a bottle to you. The best yeah. people in life are free is gay too. Because that was another word that was so associated with the LGBT. Free. Proud and free, you know? I the do. best people in life are free to be themselves, to be who they are, whatever that means to them, to yeah. express their gender and their sexuality in whatever they want, in whatever way that they want to. And again, calling back, baby, we're the new romantics. Like all those queer artists from the 80s, like that's what we are, baby. Like mm-hmm. that's what we are living right now. We can do this too. And so gender neutral. Again, the so language. gender neutral. The best people in life are free. Can you imagine if like, queen. the best boys in life are free. Oh my God, that would have made me kill myself. The best boys in life are free. She would never say that. I know That's she would. the ultimate, ultimate queer game. evidence. <laughs> I feel like I do this all the time where I'm reading one of her lyrics and it's gender neutral. And I'm just like, what would it sound like if it was boys or if it was like men or whatever? Right. And I'm just like, it wouldn't be a Taylor song. <laughs> And I just have like a side note. I don't know if I told you about this Mm. or if you've noticed this before or if people talk about this. It's completely unrelated to what we're talking about right now. And I just, I thought about it because we were talking about um, Ready For It and like the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she coughs, she clears her throat, and then she says, knew he was a killer first time that I saw him. Okay. What would rhyme with killer better than him? My God. 
she very first knighted us on reputation that's amazing knew he was a knew killer she was first a killer time first time, first time, that, time that i saw her, saw her. <gasps> that's so much better wondered how many girls she had left and left haunted but if she's a ghost then i can be a fan it all sounds better it does sound better and i feel like the reason like she had to change the pronouns for it and that's what turned what she decided to turn it into a he versus you song because i because as it were in ready for it uh-huh. the verses versus the chorus are to two different people and two different songs <laughs> two different songs and one of them and like if you watch the video for ready for it i really recommend that you do oh yeah um she's literally trapped in a glass box with like evil taylor controlling her literally being her jailer Mm-hmm. as she's accused of being like it's not positive the verses and then the chorus is like true taylor trying deeply to break free mm-hmm. and be like her real self so i can totally imagine that it was originally written like knew he was knew she was a killer first time that i saw her and when you know for whatever reason whether it was her management her label or just her own comfort with openly singing she pronouns she was like okay, I have to switch this up. I have to make it, I mean, I have to work with what I have. So then she added the all like, you can be my jailer, et cetera. Yeah. I just, like the very first night was so shocking to gailers, but I'm like, she did this before. She already did this and none of us picked up on it. I'm sure people have in the gayler community. I'm not like taking credit for people first. person. (laughs) Like she's been doing this, this bait and switch. Like Mm, also bait, queer bait. (gasps) Oh my God. Hello? Why have I I never made that connection? Oh my God wait amazing the idea that she would start off evermore with a direct reference to people saying she's queer baiting yeah every bait and switch like people think that i'm baiting but guess what i'm gonna come out as gay i am queer it's not a bait sometimes when we go on these tangents i feel like i'm a little too excited and i feel myself in like a delusional conspiracy theory (laughs) mind Oh, me too. But that's how a gaylers always feel, I feel like. Like, yeah. I, genuinely, I think that's how we get gaslights so much. Like, <laughs> So the second verse, mm-hmm. sorry for my little aside, my reputation. Is I loved peak. it. I'm so... <laughs> reputation sneak peek. That's right. So the second verse, we're all here. The lights and noise are blinding. We hang back. It's all in the timing. I thought for so long that this line said, the lights and boys are blinding. Madison, I think that it does. It says that, right? I, okay, because again, because I'm clearly like a masochist and I go on genius all the time for Taylor lyric. If you, if you click on, you know how genius has like links to interpretations. If you click on the, the lights and noise are blinding line, it says, this is obviously a metaphor because boys can't actually be blinding. Wait, I see that now. So it really does say boys and it got changed. Yeah, and it got changed. And I, it's kind of important to me that it's the lights and boys are blinding. Yeah. Because in the first song on 1989, Welcome to New York, she says, the lights are so bright but they never blind me. So the idea that lights and boys would be blinding, guess what? They're not blinding her. She's never blinded by those things. And then 
similarly, the idea that the flashing lights and all of the glamour that, uh, you know, Taylor Swift trademark has surrounding her is all part of the smoke and mirrors that having boys by her side is also part of. Mm-hmm. The lights and boys are blinding people from seeing who I actually am. The truth. That's what I've always read it as, Katie. And when I did TikTok about this song a few months ago, and I went to Genius for the lyrics, and I saw that it said lights and noise, I was like, have I been mishearing this song the entire time? But yeah, if you click it, it says something about boys. So it's like, it clearly did say boys at some point on Genius, and it got switched. Can someone, if you have the 1989 album booklet, can you please tell us what it says in that? Because I only trust her album booklets for lyrics. Same. Because Genius also didn't put the quotes around um, friends or closure in the song Closure on evermore so oh good point it's just not accurate like i'm like i'm like pissed now yeah but yeah i agree the lights and the boys are blinding from the truth of what she's actually doing the lights being like i i would assume like paparazzi flashes almost yeah of like all these photos that everyone takes of me and my little boy toys on my side are blinding you all to the real truth they don't blind me though i know what's going on which brings me to we hang back it's all in the timing it totally just reminds me of those shots of her like walking out with like her little boy toys and then like her girlfriends are like behind her or like in front of her and it's like it's like you're walking next to this man that you're being rumored to date but like also these women that you're being rumored to date are in the same group of people with you as you're walking you know it's It's like they really this is so literal of like we hang back it's all in the timing of when we walk out the doors and when we're seen together mm-hmm. and everything it's all in the timing it's poker it's this game she's playing with the paparazzi and with the public i can't believe that you just said poker and paparazzi and game in the same sentence because it's poker he can't see it in my face but i'm about to play my ace has always reminded me of poker face by lady gaga and which, which is, she's talked about is about it's about like pretending to be into boys when you're actually into girls that is what lady gaga has said poker face is about like <gasps> keeping your poker face so a man thinks you're interested when in reality you don't care about him at all holy shit and she literally for the f- only time in the song uses the pronoun he which means that it's not us it's not, not a part we. of the new romance no it's like he can see it in my face he can't he can't can't see it in my face aka i have a poker face on but i'm about to play my ace oh my gosh which do you know how to play poker because i don't i know to a degree that an ace is a really good card because it's like the highest point on a card okay that's what i was wondering i was like what does an ace mean in poker so i mean you would have to have like other good cards but the idea that you'd be saving your ace for at the end like when someone thinks that you don't have any good cards left and then you would like put down your royal flush you would win with an ace yeah I really wonder if asexual people read into this as like the idea that she's asexual and might just be you know bi-romantic or you know queer romantic like there are lots of queer people who are really into all the romantic, like cute kissy stuff. I like not even kissing sometimes, but like cuddling, like intimacy. Cause there's so much like joy and love and happiness to be found in, in non-sexual intimacy. But maybe like, you know, what her playing her ace is, is like maybe the rumors that Chelsea Handler <laughs> spread around this time of how she refuses to have sex with any of the men she's with. Maybe that's one of the rumors that she's saying is true. 
true. Like, I'm about to play my ace, aka the fact that I'm asexual and I do not want to date any of these men. I have totally looked at it that way before. Yeah, and that's, like, so fun. Like, her just being like, I'm about to play my ace when I'm playing poker with him because I'm not trying to have sex with this man. Yeah! Exactly. And like, you know, the idea that her asexuality could be fluid. Well, that's the thing. It's like, obviously, asexuality is just a part of sexuality in general. Yeah, it's and a like, part of the spectrum. Yeah, it's a part of the spectrum. And and it's I know so many ace lesbians, ace queer girls, ace queer people and a heavenly part of our community. I love too that she goes, I'm about to play my ace. <sighs> It's like sipping a soda. I love her. I She's love like, her. I'm about to tell him I am not having sex with this yes! man. And then I'm going to take a sip of my drink and I'm going to go. Ah. <laughs> like, it's like, thank God I got that off my chest. So I'm yeah. going to take a drink now. Uh, we need love, but all we want is danger. We team up, but switch sides like a record changer. Okay. That line is like Lizzie's smoking gun mm-hmm. for Taylor's queerness. Totally. We s- then switch sides like a record changer. Like, have you ever heard a more like bisexual thing in your life? No. Like the idea of switching sides is like so, like obviously if any straight person were to insinuate that bi people switch sides, like that's biphobic. Don't say that straight person. Yeah. But bisexual people are allowed to say that. <laughs> Don't say that straight person. Taylor, you... That's- any queer person that's attracted to more than one gender is allowed to say that they switch sides no, yeah. as much as they want. Like when I heard this line, like I think about a year ago is when I got really into new romantics. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I heard this line and it kind of was my green light to like be start making Gaylor TikToks. Like I made a TikTok <laughs> about it. And I was like, hey guys, uh, just listen to new romantics. Why doesn't anyone talk about this line? <laughs> And it was like one of my first Gaylor TikToks <laughs> and everyone was commenting like, no, yeah, exactly. Like, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, so we're not crazy. Like, I was like, this is like legit. I love picturing baby Gaylor Madison yeah. because these days, like, you know, I feel like we're like the old wizened, like ancient wizards of Gaylorism yeah that are like have seen it all <laughs> yeah really though no really and, like a retired like yes vet. Yeah. yes and every once in a while a new Gaylor will come on the scene like come to the reddit or on twitter yeah. and be like hey guys have you ever heard the switch sides like a record changer that's a little fruity and everyone's like, mm-hmm. uh-huh, that's right. I love it. <laughs> that was literally me. Like, oh yeah. Also, I think when she says we need love, but all we want is danger, she's saying we need love to show off for the lights and the boys and the PR. <gasps> we need oh. love. We need to show a display of love. But what we actually want in the background is to be sneaky and dangerous and mm. have like secrecy and something worth like breaking in the background do you know what i mean like something yeah it's not dangerous to go on a pap walk with your pr boyfriend that's the love that they need in order (laughs) to stay safe but what they want is the danger in the background that they're covering up and switch sides gets mentioned again in getaway car god it's really like she was laying out the like key for all of her other music with this song all of her other gay music (laughs) her super gay songs are all somehow intertwined with the song the rumors 
are terrible and cruel, but honey, most of them are true. You heard it here first. The rumors are terrible and cruel, but honey, most of them are true. I I feel like nothing needs to be said about that. She is not talking about the things that have been reported as fact. And the things that have been reported as fact are her relationship with Jake Gyllenhaal, her relationship with Taylor Lautner, her relationship with Harry Styles, her relationship with um, John Mayer. The rumored relationships. The rumored relationships are terrible and cruel oh who would ever suggest that our heterosexual princess taylor swift could possibly be queer well guess what honey most of them are true ah 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 it's such a fuck (laughs) you (laughs) i know and it's so flirtatious like can't you literally just picture her at a bar like same scenario as gorgeous where she's just flirting with someone flirting with a girl and they're kind of like she has a boyfriend like she's taylor swift she's famously in a relationship and then she's just like the rumors are terrible and cruel but honey most of them are true and then being like oh my god taylor's hitting on me yeah 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 (laughs) and the fact that that line comes right after the switch sides like exactly she's come out so many times (laughs) it's like actually getting to the point where it feels very silly that we have to pretend like we have a weird point of view like that's kind of why i love that we just started the archers being like finally queer people are talking about how queer her lyrics are because like i don't i don't they're out in the open there's anyone terrible or cruel no no like that is the only satirical part of the song is yeah, the idea exactly. that the rumors that she's gay are terrible and cruel. Oh, it's so <laughs> awful. God forbid. <laughs> the bridge is what really intrigues me. And I've been thinking mm-hmm. about it a lot because it's so connected to champagne problem. Oh, yes. Yes, I dropped your hand while dancing. Left you out there standing. Yeah. You'll find the real thing instead. She won't leave you stranded, crestfallen on the landing. Oh, wow. God. I I feel like I'm every second I'm realizing that this song has more connections than I knew. No, so when yeah. you said magnum opus, you that was a very accurate statement. Thank you, past Katie. <laughs> <laughs> like for real. So yeah, please take my hand and and please take me dancing. And please leave me stranded. It's so romantic. And again, all things that you can do with like someone of the same sex without it being too suspicious. You can take my hand. We can dance together. And then you're going to have to leave me stranded because we can't go any further than that publicly. Yeah. And that unrequited love is so romantic. Mm -hmm. The yearning the inability to really be together the thing is is that like in that bubble in that moment that this song exists in she's not in the fucked up trauma aspect of that of a secret gay relationship she's in she's still building the castle Yes. And there is something so romantic and fun about secrecy and about no one knowing and and like forbiddenness. Like that is danger. That's a very fun part of being queer. 
Yeah. Um, it just so happens that like eventually it gets really old and painful. Uh, but I mean, just like she says in happiness, like just because it eventually becomes bad and becomes painful doesn't mean it wasn't really fun at the time. The connection of the song to Champagne Problems is one that intrigues me so much because I've talked about this mm. in our last episode that I don't fully understand Champagne Problems in the way that I think a lot of other people do. And like its connection to New Romantics only confuses me more. Yeah. I guess it gives me context more, but it also confuses me more. Like it just adds so much to the narrative of like picturing her dancing with this person and them holding hands and leaving each other stranded when it was okay still. And then it turns into this tragic story in Champagne Problems of like, I left you out there standing crestfallen on the land and like this was all my fault and this danger was fun and it turned into like a lot of pain and now the castle has crumbled and then it connects to Willow. I don't have much of a connection to Willow just that it says take my hand and it's so like begging for you to take my hand and wreck my plans. Yes I don't I didn't even connect that. Please take my hand and I'm begging for you to take my hand. Hand holding is very important to her the idea of like someone taking her hand and like guiding her Mm -hmm. leading her somewhere I really love that because Taylor is so intensely in control of her own narrative you know she's really invested so much time and energy into making sure that she no one has a say in anything that she does besides herself to whatever degree that she can right right. it's just clearly something that's very important to her and then here we get her throughout much of her music asking for someone to take her hand either join her on that or actually lead her so she doesn't have to be the one in control Mm -hmm. for once for once in some aspect of her life yeah I also noticed she says please so she's like please take my hand please take me dancing please leave me stranded and that really is her begging 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 for you to take my hand I love how consistent she is yeah the subject of this song could potentially very well be the subject of Willow and Champagne Problems in some way like it's so parallel that it's like it sounds like the same story the continuation of the same story which is crazy to do like three or four albums later three albums you know what I mean like yeah like seven years later yeah yeah she just goes on to repeat the chorus and there's like a little breakdown and she's still yeah and then it ends on like a really hard end the best people in life are free i love that she ends it on that line like a quick just chop up after that it's Mm -hmm. like that's my thesis statement for this song that's what this album (laughs) on this yeah on this album like this is what it comes down to yeah yeah you're right i mean this 1989 is very much about being in new york and like the safety that being in large crowds gives you the ability to be free when you're not the center of attention i've been thinking a lot about why taylor might like new york city and london because i mean to me it's like obviously she loves nashville nashville is for all intents and purposes her hometown where she first got her start really representative of the music that she wanted to be making and Mm -hmm. i understand why she would consider nashville to be her hometown but then like besides nashville you really hear about new york and london being like the two places that she really feels comfortable and i feel like they offer her two different things In New York City, it's just what she describes in Welcome to New York, where there's so many lights, there's so many people, 
that she's allowed to blend in Mm -hmm. and she's allowed to be openly she's like another fish in the pond of new york city but when she's in tennessee she's the biggest fish in that pond and i think being a sag you know she really loves being a big fish Mm -hmm. when she wants Um, to be and she wants to be but also you know her cancer moon I always forget what is her her Scorpio rising her I mean specifically her Scorpio rising obviously would feel more safe in New York I most Scorpios I know feel very safe in New York City then London I think as opposed to that London in general because it is not in the United States in general has a much smaller obsession with celebrity there are not as many paparazzi they have their laws right for paparazzi because of like the royals and everything exactly and in general the paparazzi are used to really navigating things based on power and money exactly as Meghan Markle explained in her Oprah interview like the royal family is always giving money and like doing favors to the paparazzi and that is what like journalists kind of run on like they don't have that kind of uniquely american individualist idea that like we have to get to the truth like the people right. deserve to know what people are I doing have all the time speech and i can i can hide outside of Lindsay lohan's house in a bush <laughs> and take photos from 500 feet away you know yeah it's a lot more regulated in the UK yeah it is and yeah there's just a a like she's able to be anonymous in London for that reason because she knows that all she has to do is have like a working relationship with media outlets Mm -hmm. and they're not gonna bother her and I think California is probably similarly like considering you know the itty bitty kitty committee her recording studio is in LA and she has a home in LA it's probably similar because so many celebrities are in LA like it's not really that big of a deal and I feel like in LA though it's so like clout based and like centered that it's so Mm -hmm. like anywhere Taylor is like even slightly recognized in LA someone's gonna talk about it whereas New York Mm -hmm. no one gives a fuck everyone's minding their business everywhere you go yeah one's looking for celebrities in New York or not most people anyway whereas in LA I feel like a lot of people are everywhere you go you're kind of like is there a celebrity here like is this the celebrity hangout spot Mm -hmm. whereas the city of New York is just like everyone is existing and she has talked about why she loves New York before in a similar manner to what you're saying exactly she was Mm -hmm. just like I really like that there's so many people in this small radius of like land and space that you can get lost in it and that you can like she specifically said like you can like go to one bar and then go to another bar down the street if you want to you can just walk there because it's right there and you can go person's apartment and then jump to another club and then like she was like I just like how easy it is to get around and to just like sneak around the city and I totally agree like that was the whole reason I was drawn to New York too because you can just get lost everyone is just minding their business so heavenly that she was able to find New York and make 1989 uh what a good album I feel like we're gonna have to do a 1989 deep dive pretty soon oh my god this was like my album 1989 mm-hmm. like my peak swiftyism as like a <laughs> 14 15 year old like genuinely i mentioned this on our patreon that i was downloading i was not even downloading i was buying her music on itunes during 1989 era in the sheets and then hating her on the streets i love that for you <laughs> truly That's like its own glass closet. 
Yeah, my glass closet of being a Taylor fan and like connecting to her music. I mean, I just want to get into style. Like, I loved that song. Like, I love that song. So infectious. So, so, like, I recently saw a tweet that was like, Taylor Swift really gave us style. Like, that is enough to never hound her for anything again. Mm -hmm. She's given us so much. Style is what really got me into, I mean, I've always been into like pop music, but Mm. style is where it took this turn when I was like 14, 15, where I was like, pop music is mathematical and Taylor knows the formula. And I started reading a lot about pop music because of the song style. There was an article written I don't know if it was like Rolling Stone. I think it was Rolling Stone. And they were talking about how style had this perfect formula for a pop song and why it was so perfect. And I read it when I was like a teenager and I was like, holy shit, this is why I love pop music. This is why I've always loved it because it's genius. It takes so much to make a song that gets stuck in everyone's head that gets played on the radio all the time without annoying people. It's, I don't know. She just does it so well on 1989. It's why it's one of my favorite albums by her. It's why it's the perfect pop album of the 2010s. Like Mm -hmm. genuinely, I would love to get into 1989 because there's so, it's so legendary. This re-recording is going to break the earth. It's going to like shatter everyone. Yeah. And a lot of people think that that's why 1989 will be last, the last re-recording. I've been hearing that a lot lately. Oh, Katie, did you see that? The keyboard she was carrying in those photos. Yes. It's from 1989. I did see that. I did see that, of course. So for any of you who haven't seen, Taylor has recently been papped. She's been gay on Maine again, you guys. She has been wearing her little Doc Martens. Her little loafers. Her little loafers leaving Jack Antonoff's apartment with her keyboard from 1989. The year 1989 leaving Jack Antonoff's apartment with a keyboard from 1989. <laughs> and after the, the 1989 car in All Too Well too. like, what are you plotting back Wait, there? I thought, so right. a, I thought you were in a, in a legal battle right now with that album. Why are you dropping Easter eggs about it? Oh my God. I'm asking her directly. I know you're listening. Taylor, we know you're listening. Answer us. I'm Sound confused. off in the Spotify comments, Taylor. Is it Speak Now or 1989? Yeah. Because we have the Empire State Building telling us that it's Speak Now. But then again, it's the Empire State Building in New York. Welcome to New York. It's Speak Now era. <laughs> so is it Speak Now or 1989? Yeah. So that's a great wrap up for this episode. Yeah. We're yeah. both exhausted. We're both exhausted. But this will be released on February 13th, which is a Sunday. And guess what else is happening today, the very day that it is released? The Gaylor Group of February. February is Gaylor Group. Madison and I will be recording folks that come to the meeting talking about how much you love Taylor as a queer person. With your consent. So first and foremost, Gaylor Group is going to be what it always is, which is an unrecorded discussion about Taylor's music, Gaylorism, queerness, very open-ended. A segment of the Gaylor group will be us recording with your consent. Anyone who wants to speak on what Taylor's music means to them as a queer person and why Taylor's so important to you. And then we will be editing those responses into a 
special bonus episode for Valentine's Day. And you didn't catch on. We did our new romantics analysis because it's Valentine's Day and it's like romantic. <laughs> the, the episode for Monday is like love letters to Taylor, little Valentines for Miss Taylor Swift. Little Valentines for Miss Taylor Swift. So if uh, you're listening to this at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, on February 13th, Gaylor Group is at 1 p.m. today. And if you're listening in the past, don't worry. Gaylor Group happens every 13th of the month. Mm-hmm. And we will be promoing it next time it happens. So don't on worry. On Twitter, Patreon, Reddit, everywhere we, we everywhere frequent. We I was going to say, what should we do for our question? Yeah. Should it be 1989 related? I love that. Do you want to do a 1989 episode? I mean, eventually. Like, so eventually. we're not thoughts. Like, yeah, give us your thoughts on 1989. Like, tell us what your favorite song is. Tell us what your queer take on one of the songs. Mm-hmm. Tell us any of your thoughts about 1989. I really like the Spotify questions, and I'm. It's been sad to not have them for the past couple of episodes. Sorry, sorry, we haven't had them for the last two episodes. But recording the Evermore episode was so taxing. It really did. took a toll on us. I mean. <laughs> Tell us your 1989 hot take, I guess. Like, what are your thoughts on it? Tell us if you think the Empire State Building's TikTok account is, like, trustworthy at all. Because I'm of the opinion that they know nothing. Thank you guys for listening, as always. We are so grateful for this little community. And we are so grateful to the patrons and... We're so grateful for everyone that comes to Gala Group and we are so mm-hmm. excited to hear your guys' love letters and to be able to share that on our podcast because it's like we are just two people that are part of the Gala community. So beautifully put, Madison. You can find us on Twitter at The Archers Pod. Find us on Patreon. Patreon. All of a sudden I cannot pronounce words. Find us on <laughs> Patreon at patreon.com slash The Archers. And we will see you. Look out for our Valentine's bonus episode, and then you'll get a full episode on the 27th. Bye, you guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Oh, another day, another ending. <laughs>